This is the One Thing Podcast, where we teach you the surprisingly simple truth behind extraordinary results. My name's Jeff Woods. I'm the vice president here at the One Thing team. Imagine if all your dreams, your inspirations, the things you wanted out of life were stripped away from you in a moment. All the things you thought were possible, suddenly you're told will no longer ever happen for you. It makes you really consider what matters most. The person you're going to meet today actually died at the age of 20. He was hit head on by a drunk driver at 70 miles an hour. His heart stopped beating for six minutes. He broke 11 bones and woke up after being in a coma for six days to be told by the doctors that he would never walk again. Well, not only did this person walk, he ended up running a 52 mile ultra marathon and went on to build a great business, speaking all over the world and authoring a very, very popular book, The Miracle Morning. And he did all this before the age of 30. Then in November of 2016, he nearly died again. He was diagnosed with a very rare and aggressive form of leukemia, where he was given roughly a 20% chance to live, meaning 80% chance that he would die. And after enduring the most difficult life of his year battling cancer, he's now cancer-free and lives to share his perspective on what really matters most. Today, you're going to discover his story of how he formed a powerful morning routine that set his day up to be incredibly successful, how that idea of a miracle morning went on to impact the lives of over 500,000 people. And now that he's on the other side, how he constantly has clarity on what matters most. With that, let's get into this conversation with best-selling author, Hal Elrod. Eating healthy is an investment. It's an investment in yourself, but it also often requires an investment of your time. But good news is Factor has delicious ready-to-eat meals that are ever fresh and never frozen. They're chef-created, dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. With Factor, you can choose from a weekly menu of up to 35 options, including popular things like Calorie Smart or Keto Direction or Protein Plus or Vegan and Veggie. Also discover 60 more add-ons every week like breakfast on the go, lunch, snacks, beverages to help you stay fueled, feel good all day. And we know our listeners here at The One Thing are focused on health and health goals. That's why we choose to partner with Factor. And if you visit factormeals.com slash 150 and use code 150, you can get 50% off your first month plus 20% off your next month. Again, that's factormeals.com slash ONE50 and use code ONE50 to get 50% off your first month plus 20% off your next month. So it's been about a month since you and I sat down and had lunch. I know you were about to pack up and head out to uh, the Illuminate Film Festival where your new movie, The Miracle Morning, was being featured. Bring us up to speed. How'd everything go? Yeah, man. That, the, the word is surreal. You know, if I had to pick a word, <laughs> I get asked, what was it like? I'm like, ah, you know, I'm speechless. But, uh, but yeah, The Miracle Morning, uh, and I didn't know this, but 
the the documentary and it started as a book became a documentary they started out with 400 films that applied to the festival and then narrowed it down to 100 and then narrowed it down to 25 and we were the num we were the featured film at the festival on on Saturday night I and mean, it was it was crazy to think out of 400 films that it was narrowed down to to you know we were the featured film my family was there we had a packed theater people flew in from around the country I think some were international for you know members of the Miracle Morning community and we got a standing ovation in the theater I mean it, it was yeah again it was it was just it was really surreal and the whole reason we made the film is uh, my friend who's a filmmaker Nick Conadera he uh, he reached out to me and he's like how your mission is to elevate the consciousness of humanity one morning at a time right I said yeah he said what percentage of people read self-help books. I said, I don't know, like three to five, something like that. He said, what percentage watch movies? And I knew where he was. I didn't have, he didn't have to, you know, keep, keep the conversation going. I got it. And, uh, I was like, uh, the other 95 and, uh, and he goes, well, if you want to read to most people, what do you think about turning the book into a film? And I was like, uh, you, you make, I, I can't argue with that point. And, um, so that's the mission now is, you know, is, is reaching millions of people beyond the book, but you know, through the film as well. Yeah. So the thing that's coming to my mind is I've heard Gary say, you're never more than five years away from where you want to be. So when you imagine the dream life, it's really mm, not more that. than five years away if you do the right activities, if you think and act in order of priority. I'm, yeah. at, I'm wondering, where were you five years ago, and could you have perceived that everything that has happened could actually happen? Oh, that, I, I love you asking that. I just like that question makes me smile so big uh, internally. Miracle Morning published five years ago. For people who don't know what the Miracle Morning is, what is the book and how did it come into existence? Yeah, the great question. The book is a, uh, or the, the Miracle Morning is a practice. It's a daily practice. It is really for, it's really for morning people and more for people that are not morning people. And when I, when I, I wrote the book because I was at a really low point in my life in 2008 when the US economy crashed. And I just started Googling one day, what do the world's most successful people do for, what are their daily routines, their daily rituals, their daily habits? And I kept coming across morning rituals. But Jeff, I, like most people in the world, had a limiting belief that said, I am not a morning person. I've tried, doesn't work for me. So I thought, so I kept skipping all those articles. And I finally, I, I saw one, you know, one too many or one, I just saw so many that I finally went back and I went, okay, I got to read these. And I went back, I, I backed up my browser and I started reading all these articles on morning rituals. And what I realized is very, it's very much in alignment with the one thing is that a morning ritual isn't just awe strategy, like one of many different things that you could try or apply. It's arguably the linchpin to success because it's the linchpin to a great day. How you start your day sets the tone, the context, and the direction of your entire day. And if you do what most of us do, most people do where you hit the snooze button repeatedly, which is starting the day with procrastination, literally, and you delay the act of waking up and then you create, you know, that you wake up at the last minute or you just check email, you don't do anything productive, right? Then you start your day with that type of kind of chaotic energy and, and you go through the day and you tend to procrastinate and, and, and be sporadic and not be really productive or focused because that's how the morning starts. But on the other hand, if you start the morning focused, goal-oriented, growth-oriented, if you focus on becoming a better version of yourself every morning than you were the night before when you went to bed, 
Then you get better every day and you put yourself in a peak physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual state first thing in the morning. And therefore you bring a better version of you into everything that you do during the day. So your work improves, your relationships improve, your health improves. And because your discipline is improved by how you're starting your day, that spills over into every area of your life. And so the Miracle Morning is a, it's a very simple, very practical morning ritual that is now practiced by, I think it's roughly 500,000 people in over 90 countries uh, around the world. And most of those people have, that we've surveyed have said, I was never a morning person before the Miracle Morning. And then once I read the book, then I, you know, it, it opened my eyes. It gave me some simple tips to make waking up and beating the snooze button simple. And then it gave me the, the structure of what to do in the morning to really maximize my mornings. So five years ago, the book is just published and... What were your thoughts about how it would sell and how it would perform? You know, really more mediocre than than not, meaning (laughs) um, just being totally honest, like there were very, you know, occasionally I'd have this moment of, you know, I'd be meditating or have this moment of like, this could change the world. Like if everyone started their day this way. There'd be, you know, there wouldn't be bowling at school. There wouldn't be road rage on the freeway. Everyone would be more, you know, healthier, happier, more productive. I thought this could change the world one person, one morning at a time, the way it's changed my life and everyone that I've taught it to. So that was like a, but that was a very, it was a very small, that was probably 3% of my thinking. And then the other 97% was a myriad of, God, who's going to, no one's going to read this. I, I'm not going to, how am I going to change the conversation in someone's head that they've had their entire life that says, I am not a morning person. Who am I to change that? So I think there was a lot more insecurity, you know, and fear around the book not, not doing much, but, but it was the whole, I have a responsibility to share this with the world because it's changed my life. It's changed my clients' lives. And and, and you know, and, and I, I I have to get it out there. Uh, but I did not think it was going to be this worldwide movement or a movie. You know, definitely not a movie. Um, definitely not a book series. You know, we have there's ten books in the Miracle Morning series. Like I I did not foresee any of that. A lot of people ask me if you know during interviews. So was well, was this your master vision? The book series and events and and you know and, and a movie. And I'm like no. It was like self publish this baby and hope you know and, and then move on to the next project and and now it's out there and you know I the world can find it, whatever. But, but I, yeah, I did not have a big vision for it. When you think back, okay, that was five years ago. You fast forward to today where you really have turned it into a movement. It's, it's quite frequent that we hear people who have read the one thing. They also know the miracle morning. They go hand in hand because there's also that quote that people do not decide their futures. They decide their habits and their habits decide their futures. This is habits that become rituals for an extraordinary morning. What were the lead dominoes or the activities that you just did consistently over the five years that led to the extraordinary results that you've realized? So, so the one, the main one, and I've done a lot, but the main one was podcast interviews as I am doing right now. My theory on that, you know, and I, I mean, I, I invested in this TV course where I paid, invested $10,000 and I got to meet with TV producers and I got on like 13 different morning shows. And I thought, and when I was writing the book, I'm like, morning shows would be like, that's ideal. You know, it's a morning show, right? So I've done morning shows. I've done, I've done all very different, just different forms of, you know, marketing and, and, and promoting. The reason I believe that podcasting moves the needle more than anything else is that 
that if you're listening to a podcast, by default, you are someone that seeks growth, right, or self-improvement or knowledge in the area related to the podcast. If you're watching a morning show, you might not seek growth at all. You just like to watch television, right? And so that that is my philosophy is that the, the ideal folks that are going to be readers of The Miracle Morning, right, are listening to this podcast. They're listening to podcasts. And that's that, that you know, so that, that that's my theory, but that's been the biggest game changer. And so, and also the beauty of it is it's free, right? I don't have to invest money other than time. I don't have to invest money to get on podcasts. And I've done, uh, I mean, this, you know, I'm, I think I'm over 200 podcast interviews now since The Miracle Morning came out. And the last year of my life, I was fighting cancer, not doing a single interview. So I, I my, my averages went way down in terms of how many, you know, I used to be doing up to 20 podcast interviews a week when the book first came out. For those of you who heard the episode that went live with Keith Cunningham about the habit that cost $100 million to acquire and why it was worth it, he said something that was really profound that I think uh, your life up until this point has exemplified how, which is that success is getting what you want and fulfillment is giving what you've got. Mm. Talk about your journey of the miracle morning and why that was, how that served you and how things changed from a mindset of success to a mindset of fulfillment. Yeah. The miracle morning was not just to be clear. It wasn't a book title. That wasn't the idea. It it wasn't a book idea. It was in 2008 when the U S economy crashed and I did that research and I figured I got to start a morning ritual. I created my morning ritual and all I did was I wrote my schedule 5am personal development every day. That was it. It was personal development. That was my morning ritual doing personal development. Then within two months, I doubled my income. I went from being in the worst shape of my life physically, I hadn't exercised in six months, to committing to run a 52-mile ultra marathon, which I completed. And I went from being deeply depressed because I had lost my house, I had lost over, you know, I was in deep in debt, it was when the economy crashed and I crashed with it. My depression went away within day one because my first, what's now known as the Miracle Morning, without the name back then, it gave me such a compelling vision for my future that, wow, if I do this every day, If I start every day like this, it's only a matter of time before I turn my life around. And because it happened, I was thinking six to 12 months, and it was two months later that all those dramatic results had happened. I started saying to my wife, this feels like a miracle, like this morning ritual. It's like a miracle. My life has changed so fast, sweetie. And I started calling it my miracle morning and putting it in my schedule there. So that's kind of how this whole thing started. And then the miracle morning started out as a practice to get everything I wanted out of life, right? Success, you know, money, health, freedom, happiness, all of those things. And it gave me all of those things very quickly. Now, a year and a half ago, I was diagnosed with an aggressive form of cancer, very rare, very aggressive. I, I, my, the cancer that I had uh, has a 20 to 30% survival rate. So for those of you that are you know, glasses half empty folks, that would be a 70 to 80% you're going to die rate. And I have two kids and I have a wife. And so um, my kids are relatively young and, and it was the most terrifying you know, experience and, and time of my life. And what I continued practicing my miracle morning as much as I could, it was sporadic because I was very sick from the chemotherapy, but I practiced it as much as I could. I still, even if I didn't do it first thing in the morning, I'd, you know, I'd wake up later sometimes because I was not feeling well, I would read my affirmations and I would go through all the, the practices of the miracle morning. And what I've realized now through this journey is 
that I, I really had to get clear on my priorities. I wasn't living in alignment with my priorities. I always said family was number one, but if you looked at my schedule, it didn't reflect that. And I thought that it was, I was, you know, I, I was lying really to myself first and then to, you know, to the world, if you will, thinking that I was doing it all for my family, but really I was addicted to success. And now the miracle morning, I still, I've done it, you know, I still do it every day, have for roughly nine years. It's about becoming the best version of myself, not just for myself, but for other people. So about becoming the best father that I can be so that my kids get the dad they deserve. You know, reading books on relationships, on, on, on marriage, so that I can be the husband that my wife deserves, right? Every morning, becoming the leader that my community deserves, and so on and so forth. And so the Miracle Morning to me now is really about you waking up every day and becoming the best version of yourself so that you can show up to the people in your life that matter the most to you and give them the you that they deserve. And before it was the leftover me at the end of the day that my kids would get to play with when I was exhausted, you know, and now they get me first thing in the morning, every morning. This has been one of the bigger ahas for me lately when it came to growing this company behind the one thing, because for everybody who is either in our Living Your One Thing membership or who comes to our live events, they're showing up because they want to live the one thing at a higher level. They want extraordinary results in their life. And what has started to happen now that people have been living it long enough is they're seeing the domino effect that happens. You've had people on the show who showed up at their house, had their goals on the wall or had their 66-day challenge calendar on the wall, and then their eight-year-old or 10-year-old or five-year-old started showing interest. And I think what's really interesting is most of us realize um, it's so easy to focus on what we want to get every day, yet when we realize that we are the example for other people, suddenly purpose is brought into the equation Mm -hmm. and it drives us on a whole different plane. Well, I agree. And it's, you, you said Keith Cunningham, uh, his quote about uh, success is, is uh, you need to say it. I'm gonna success <laughs> is getting what you want. Fulfillment is giving what you've got. Yeah, I, I agree. And, and the way that I word that, I, I just say that the more value that you add to the lives of other people, the more valuable life becomes, right? And that, that is, that, that to me, fulfillment is, it's, it's, it's contributing to other people. The more value you add for others, the more fulfilled you become. And selfishly, the more opportunities become abundant, right? So you get fulfillment and you get abundance. Uh, you really, to me, you get both by giving more. And Steve, you know, um, uh, what was his name? Zig Ziglar said it, I thought really well, which is you can have everything you want in life if you help enough other people get what they want. And, and you know, and even for me with the Miracle Morning on, on the business side of it, it, it's really, it was very fulfilling a few years ago when I realized, wait, every dollar that I earn is a result of, you know, really contributing to somebody else's life, right? Through the miracle morning, through the book, through the practice, you know, that sort of thing. And yeah, and so to me, you can have you can have both, right? It's kind of having your cake and eating it too, where in, if you if you understand that perspective where you go, okay, success isn't about getting more and getting as much as I can, which is I think when we're young and immature, that's our view is the more I get, the more successful I am, the more money I get, the more, you know, it's get, get, get. And when you flip it and you go, the more I give, the more successful I am. And you, when you really measure it, not by the dollars that come in, but first the value that goes out and then 
it's it's inevitable that the then the value comes back to you and it's reciprocated in the forms of you know financial abundance and that sort of thing. But I think it's so important to lead with give, 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 add value as much as I possibly can, and then you know, and then I'll reap the rewards. But 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 I yeah. think that that's the yeah. So let's go into this concept of what matters most on a deeper level, because people who listen to this podcast inherently understand that the number one lie of productivity is everything matters equally. That's a lie, right? You have your most important priorities, and then there's everything else. It's that black and white. Yet, even though we may have clarity on what our priorities are, our actions violate the number one lie of productivity. They just mm-hmm. still treat everything like it matters equally. So walk us through what that that clarity moment was for you and how you began to make the shifts in your life so that you thought and acted in order of priority. The, you know, I don't, I I don't know if there was a moment. It was such a series of moments after I was diagnosed with cancer. For me, the way my brain works, I just, you know, I, I had that, I had a horrific car accident when I was 20 and I was told I would never walk again. And, and the way I processed it is, well, if I can never walk again, I might as well be the happiest person and the most grateful person that you've ever seen in a wheelchair because I'm in a wheelchair either way. Point being, I tend to deal with adversity, you know, I guess relatively well and I kind of accept it and I go, well, I'm going to make the best of it because I can't change it. Well, the, there was, me being diagnosed with cancer and knowing that I was going to have to go through that process and that I could die, uh, for me personally, I, I was able to be at peace with that. However, having two young children and a wife who I had committed to you know, forever and a day with, that was different, right? That was just, it was just a whole different ballgame. It was, it was I'm not you – know, my brain is not their brain. I, I can't control the way they feel about this, the way they respond to this. And to think of my children losing their father, losing me, you know, was, was really was devastating. And what, that obviously, so that caused me to really re-examine things. I'm going through this cancer journey, and I, and it's of course, you know, if if and when, if you will, I I'm I'm you know I, I beat this cancer and I'm back uh, as dad and as husband and as CEO. What am I? How am I going? What changes am I going to make? And it was really first. I'll, I'll give some actionables that anybody listening can apply, right? So not just philosophy, but here's some actionables. One is uh, I naturally tend to read business books. I just gravitate toward business books. That's what I'm, you know, fascinated by. It's interesting to me. Well, I decided that if if my family is going to be number one then I need to have a bunch of logistics in my life changed, things with my schedule, things with you know what I do, my behaviors, my priorities. So one of the first changes I made is was my reading. I, and I, I made a rule. I am not allowed to read a business book any given day until I've read 10 pages out of a parenting or a marriage book. Ooh. And I think <laughs> – Right? And it's like that's the – how simple is that? But first and foremost, it, it showed me in terms of my priority, like by, by literally every day I was re- – by picking up that parenting book, I was reminding myself this is number one. By reading that parenting book, I was conditioning my mind to be a better father, which then showed up in my behavior throughout the rest of the day and you know for the rest of my life. Right, so that was the first the first uh, actionable that I implemented. That and I, to this day, I still have got to read a parenting book, and I actually use a habit tracker on my phone. It's a great app. 
called Way of Life. Mm. And uh, and that's one of my habits is, you know, read 10 pages of a parenting book. And each day I do it. And, you know, rarely I miss it. But occasionally if I have some sort of weird priority, I've got to, you know, I've got to do. But it's probably 95, 98 percent of the time that I read a parenting book or a marriage book before I read uh, another book. What have been some of the other things, the little shifts? Because I love those two-inch dominoes that lead to big results. Yeah. Yeah. Another one is uh, – my so my son came down. It was after it was after I finished my finished my last chemotherapy treatment, which you know I which took place three hours away in, in a hospital in Houston, Texas. I live in Austin, Texas. I was away from my family for the majority of a year. It was really difficult. That was a hard, you know, one of the hardest parts. And my and my kids really grew away from me. Like they became dependent on mom. They, I mean, they didn't see me. And they were my son was you know three or four, and my daughter was five or six. I mean, when I got the cancer, so they're very young and their brain is still forming, and they didn't see dad a lot. So when I would come home, it was kind of like uh, they didn't feel, I don't know if safe is the right word, but they used to feel like mom is who they depended on. And they didn't know if they could depend on dad because I was sick, I was gone, et cetera. So that was heartbreaking for me. I came home though after my first chemo treatment and it was Saturday morning and my son, maybe it was Friday morning, but my son came downstairs early. And normally, because when work was my priority, I would put him in front of the TV and I would go, okay, you know, I'm going to keep working, son. Here's a cartoon, right? Do your thing. I'll do my thing, right? My son came home and that was not an option. As soon as he came home, I shut my computer. And I said, son, I said, what we can do anything you want today. We can go do like like race cars, something you've never done before. We can do anything you want. We can go to your high five and do like bowling or laser tag, whatever you want. What do you want to do? And uh, he says, let's go play in my bedroom or let's go play in the playroom. And I said, no, no, son, I don't think you heard me. <laughs> we can do anything you want. Like, wait, you know, I'm like naming off the things again. He goes, I just want to play in my, you know, and he has my, he still taught my son as a baby voice. He's like, dad, I just want to play in the playroom, right? And in that moment, I realized I just told him he could do anything and he wants to play in the playroom with me, with his toys. And at that moment, I said, hey, I said, son, do you want to do that every day, every morning before you go to school where we play for half an hour in the playroom? You know, and, and he goes, oh, you know, his eyes lit up like, oh, my God, are you don't you know, dad, don't don't tease me. Like, don't, don't you know, don't, don't like, this, you know, I'm, this is serious. And I said, no, no, I'm serious. And and so I said, give me one sec. And I put a recurring in my calendar. I put a recurring commitment. And I think it was 30 minutes every morning before school to play with my son. And then with my daughter, it was after school because she's not as much the morning person. Um, but uh, but that was it, right? And then again, priority. And you think about that. At the, normally, it's at the end of the day when I'm tired. We're, you know, we go home to our kids after work. We're tired and they get leftover dad or leftover mom. And I thought, I, want my son, I don't want my son to get leftover dad when I'm tired and I'm just like mindlessly moving the action figures because I don't have the energy to really focus. And so, yeah, so that was a huge shift, right? Right there again, once again, just by making it a priority in the morning, not only was he getting me with my full energy and the best of me, but it was once again reminding me my children are, you know, number one. And then, and then beyond that, I can go into affirmations and such. But yeah, and I think this is really important to drive home because I'm trying to remember which podcast episode it was before, but somebody basically said, um, Who are the people that matter most to you? And well, let's just do it as an exercise. So I'm talking to you who's listening. Who are the people in your world that really matter most to you? Anybody who is married or has children, those are the people that likely are coming to mind. And then we ask the question, who do we give the best of ourselves to? Mm. How do we prepare when we're about to sit down with an important customer or with our boss or with 
our employees. How intentional are we about ensuring that those relationships are solid? And then we come home and mail it in and often end up giving the worst of ourselves to those people. Hmm. It's just, it's so interesting how you can have this long day, your willpower is shot, you're exhausted, you walk in and you snap, or you don't focus on the people who actually matter most. All right. So I would add the question of, uh, and I actually don't even know if I have an exact question to it, but basically along the lines of what, you know, in what ways are you educating yourself and growing yourself to be able to give more of yourself to the people that you love. I've got one for you. What's the one thing I can do such that by doing it would make giving the best of myself to the people who matter most easier or unnecessary? Focusing question, baby. Just aim it at a very specific area. Nice. Jeff, that is a great question. It's areas where I'm curious. Um, it sounds so simple. Have clarity on what your priorities are and start making these little shifts in your life, whether it's reading a parenting book 10 pages before you earn the right to focus on your business book, playing with your kids before they go to school or you go to work, or as soon as you come home. What have been the biggest struggles of aligning your actions with your true priorities? The biggest struggles have been an addiction to success, like a deep, deeply rooted addiction to success. I think it was uh, when I was 19, I started selling Cutco cutlery. And my first 10 days with Cutco, I broke the company sales record and I got all sorts of recognition, right? And I think that might be where it started. Because before that, I was a pretty mediocre kid. Like I didn't get good grades. I wasn't an athlete. That was, that was the first time that I like stepped up in the world and I, you know, I, my, I, I was shining or whatever. I think that might be where it started, but it's still to this day. In fact, I am, uh, I'm working on a new book and it's my first book with a traditional publisher. And the it's called the miracle equation and i just found out uh, there was a miscommunication and i thought my deadline was months away and it turns out it's like weeks away and i uh yeah <laughs> yeah yeah it was yeah interesting and i think it's gonna be months now that we had this conversation but it was but it was yeah it was like there i'm like so hey what's our new what's the new deadline since we haven't signed the contract i'm like it's like it's gonna be three months from when we sign they're like no no, no it's still in two weeks i'm like what? I did not understand that. Okay. Um, first time in this world. But, uh, but anyway, the point is I, uh, I, you know, I immediately went into mo- like into success, maybe even scarcity mode. Like I have to do whatever it takes to meet this deadline, even if that means sacrificing my health first and foremost. Right. And that was actually the big, you know, when it comes to what matters most, I, I, I categorize the answer to that as relationships and health. Like to me, those are the two things without those two things, nothing else matters at the end of someone's life. They always say they look back. Right. And that's, that's usually what their regrets are is either they didn't take enough care of their health or they didn't take enough good care of their relationships. Right. So, uh, I just realized that, yeah, for me, that's the biggest challenge is, is, is being willing to sacrifice health and relationships for success. And, and, and I, you know, I almost did that the other day. And then luckily I talked to some friends and they talked me off the ledge and they're like, how dude, <laughs> you know, your health's more important than getting this book done. You know, just talk to your publisher, explain the situation. I'm sure they'll understand. And mm. I did, and they did, and it all worked out. But, uh, but yeah, man, I was, you know, I was really quick to just fall back in that old pattern of like, I'll do whatever 
whatever it takes to make sure I hit my deadlines. And even if that means sacrificing my health. How many of you have a habit of sacrificing the things that matter most for the things that just don't matter as much? You just come home late for dinner. It's one more weekend that you work. You just skip the gym or you just burn the midnight oil. You let the stress rise all because you want, quote, success. Yet, if you don't have your body, where are you going to live? And if you don't have the people in your world to share all the experiences and the fortunes with, what's it all for? What is the miracle equation, Hal? So the miracle equation is, so it's something I created back when I was with Cutco and I was trying to break a sales record and the time was very limited. Like I thought I had 14 days to break this record. I was sweating the 14 days. It was, it was really, it was challenging. I was trying to do something that had never been done in the 50 year history of the company. And then at the sales meeting, right before the day before our, 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 14 days started, our manager said, Hey, Hal, it's actually, or he, they announced the whole office. It's only 10 days guys, just so you guys know. And I was like, no, 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 no. I, I was trying to, I, 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 14 days feels impossible. 10 days is impossible. And so when I was about to reset the goal, I remembered something that one of my mentors said, and this is such a valuable lesson, I think for all of us, he said, the real purpose of a goal is not to hit the goal. Yes. The real purpose of a goal is to develop yourself through the process into the type of person that can hit goals, that goal and future goals. Whether or not you hit any individual goal is not nearly as important as how you being fully committed to give it everything you can regardless of your results until the last possible moment. Mm-hmm. And and so I, I remembered that and I went, wait a minute. Well, what if I just go for it? Like what if I give it everything I have for these 10 days, even if I don't hit it, but I but I actually am more committed and than I've ever been before. Then at the end, if I don't hit the goal, but I do that I but I'm that person, well then I will I'll become the type of person that can reach for bigger and better goals in the future, right? And then I asked myself, I reverse engineered it. I said, what would because this feels impossible what what would i ha- what would be my approach mentally and logistically how would i have to approach this to make the impossible possible and i came up with two decisions and this is these decisions are what make up the miracle equation the first decision was unwavering faith the second was extraordinary effort so I decided I will have to maintain unwavering faith that I can reach the goal in order to keep myself moving toward it if I'm not on track. You think about human nature, Jeff, and human nature is when we're not on track for a goal, we lose the faith that it's possible. As soon as we lose the faith that it's possible, the effort necessary to make it possible goes right out the window because what, you know, we just don't, what's what's the point? Why am I going to give it everything I have when I don't actually see that it's a possibility to reach the goal. So I decided the only way this miracle is going to happen is I'm going to have to, I called it my miracle mantra, I'm going to have to maintain unwavering faith by telling myself I'm going to reach the goal no matter what, there is no other option. And so that was the first decision is I have to maintain unwavering faith and it's unwavering. So that means no matter what, even if I'm nowhere near the goal and I'm on the last day, I've got to tell myself it's still possible. And if you think about all like the world's best athletes, 
In the fourth quarter of a basketball game, when the game is on the line, there's only a few seconds left. Most players do not have faith that they can win the game. But the Michael Jordans, the LeBron James, the Kobe Bryants, they say, give me the ball because at some point in their lives, whether a mentor instilled that faith for them or they instilled it themselves, they decided, I believe I can make any I can make miracles happen. Right. Hmm. The second decision was extraordinary effort, which simply put, I'm going, I have to give it everything I have, regardless of the results. I could call it unwavering effort, probably just the same. And so I did this back when I was selling Cutco and to kind of keep this a short story and, and bring it to the future is or the present. I ended up hitting my goal in miraculous fashion. It, and, and it was, I was, those two commitments, those two decisions of unwavering faith and extraordinary effort were tested every single day. I had terrible results. I, I mean, on and on. And then it was literally the last appointment, the last hour with the wrong person that wasn't even supposed to be there that somehow showed up. And in miraculous fashion, I reached the goal. So then I started teaching this to other sales reps thinking, well, maybe it was just me and I got lucky. Let me see if this is duplicable and I could teach to others. Every single sales rep I taught it to went out and kind of like the four minute mile, the record that I had broken, I taught it to Jerry Azinger. She did the exact same thing. She had never done it in her seven-year career. And rep after rep after rep after rep after rep after rep had the same results using the equation. So fast forward, and I've always thought about, oh, I could like write a book about it, but I mean, what am I, you know, the only evidence I have is Cutco. Like I just, you know, selling knives, that's not what most people want to do. So I don't really have a lot of evidence for this working in other situations. When I was given a 20% chance of living very quickly in my mind, the miracle equation rose to the surface. And I went, wait a minute. The way that I defied the statistics in the past was with the miracle equation. I defied the odds. I, I, I was able to make miraculous things happen. That's what I'm going to apply to this cancer journey. I'm going to maintain unwavering faith that I'm going to beat this cancer, even though I have a 70 to 80% chance of dying. But that is not going to enter my consciousness. And when it does, when fear starts to set in, I will use my miracle mantra, which said, I will beat cancer no matter what. There is no other option. And I will support that faith with extraordinary effort. I, and I, and I, in addition to just showing up to the hospital doing chemo, which is what 99% of cancer patients do, I did the, every holistic practice you could imagine and all the research to figure out what that was. I did coffee enemas, which enemas are not comfortable. That is extraordinary effort. I took 70 supplements a day that were all vetted, that were natural, that were we checked out making sure there wasn't chemicals in them. I did acupuncture. I did ozone sauna. I ate the most, the craziest, strictest diets you've ever imagined, right? That was my extraordinary effort. And the last thing I'll say on this is there is an effort faith feedback loop, which is when you put, you start with unwavering faith, you put forth extraordinary effort, but the extraordinary effort reinforces your faith because you feel like you deserve and you're earning that miracle because you're putting forth effort outside of your comfort zone that most people might not do. And therefore the miracle, it, it's a sense of deservedness for it. And, and so because the miracle equation, I believe, got me through the cancer and allowed me to turn that 70 to 80% chance of dying into, in my mind, it was, you know, it just wasn't, it wasn't an option. Then I, I felt compelled that I want to share the same thing with the miracle morning. 
It wasn't a book idea initially. It was something that changed my life, and I felt responsible to share it with others. The Miracle Equation is the exact same thing. It changed my life, everyone's life that I taught it to, and then once it saved my life from cancer, I thought, okay, this is a legitimate – it's not luck. It's not chance. It doesn't only work for some people. The more I've looked into history, every person that's created a miracle, which – I don't mean parting the Red Sea. I just mean an extraordinary result outside the realm of what is likely probable and what most consider possible. They utilized the principles of the miracle equation. To to, to boil it down, here's what I love what you said. I heard Gary Keller say that the purpose of a goal is not to achieve the result. It's to be appropriate in the moment. To have Mm, clarity on how you can show up right now to be the most appropriate and aligned with your goal. It's about the person you become today, right? And that comes down to becoming the type of person who, in your words, has unwavering faith, mean you commit to the goal. Yeah. I will beat cancer no matter what. There is no other option. I will hit goal no matter what. There is no option. In fact, in all the masterminds with Gary, when he talks about goals and teams, he says a goal is an immovable object. The people in your world are movable if they can't hit goal. The goal is a standard. It is an immovable object. The challenge is people treat goals like they're a movable object and they treat their people like they're the immovable object and they wonder why they're not getting the results. Mm. So unwavering faith and commitment to the goal and then extraordinary effort, narrow focus, acting in order of priority consistently over time producing extraordinary results. Amen. <laughs> Drop the mic. <laughs> So here's my question for you who's listening. What's the one thing you're not doing that if you started doing immediately would make achieving extraordinary results easier or unnecessary in your world? Out of everything we've talked about up until this point, you heard a lot of ideas. What is that one thing that you are not currently doing that if you started doing immediately would make achieving those extraordinary results easier or unnecessary. Hal, where can people learn more about you and the Miracle Morning? MiracleMorning.com is a good spot for that. And uh, I always invite everybody to, you know, the, the Miracle Morning community on Facebook is a great place to join. It's a, it's a free Facebook group, but it, it is arguably the fastest growing, largest, uh, but most engaged and loving, supportive online community I've ever seen. I think we have 157,000 members in there from over 100 countries. And every day they just, they're they're all focused on becoming the best version of themselves, fulfilling their potential. And then with the spirit of paying that forward and helping others do the same. So, you know, it's so rare to find one person doing that, but when you're connected to a community where everyone's doing that, you know, it's, it's really special. Well, thank you for all you do and the impact that you are making. And uh, I'm sure I will be seeing you here locally soon. Yeah, lunch soon, brother. There we go. Well, there you have it. Our conversation with best-selling author Hal Elrod. Out of everything we talked about in this episode, what stands out for you? Something that really hit me was the idea of consuming content in order of priority. We know a lot about you since you're listening to this show. Clearly, you are growth-minded. You want more out of life. And specifically as it pertains to your time, 
challenge is how often are we furthering our education in something that is not our number one priority? I loved how once Hal got clarity that family was truly what mattered most, he went down a road to reading and furthering his education on how to be a better father or husband before he earned the right to develop his education on running a business. So simple. Yet how many of us do it? On the cover of The One Thing, it says, the surprisingly simple truth behind extraordinary results. How many of us are confusing simple with easy? It doesn't say the surprisingly easy truth behind extraordinary results. It's simple. Everything that we talk about in this show, they're simple principles that if done consistently over time could produce extraordinary results. What's that one simple action that you are not taking today? That if you started taking it, would make everything else easier or unnecessary in your life. We hope that you will share that with us. You can do so by leaving a review, noting the episode with Hal Elrod and sharing the one thing that you are going to do. All those reviews come directly to us. Or you can share it on your social media channel of choice. You're welcome to share this podcast episode and, and include the hashtag, the one thing. We curate these posts over time. And so this is just a great feedback loop for us. If you are not yet subscribed to the show, please go ahead and click that button so all future episodes are automatically downloaded to your device. And if you'd like to support the show, please consider supporting our sponsors because they go into making the show possible for you. Thank you so much. And we look forward to being with you in the next episode. 